Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. So I've been in a funky season. I haven't really been myself for a little bit now. And and here's kind of how I know I haven't been myself. I hate people. (laughs) I I don't know, like you're not supposed to hate people, right? And I'm not supposed to tell you if I do hate people, I'm supposed to pretend like I'm not supposed to say that because that's not what you should say if you're a follower of Jesus. And certainly if you're a pastor, you shouldn't hate people, right? But I do, right? And so it's like, just being honest, and, and here's how I know I hate people and why I kind of know and see this pattern in my life. It's like I'm a pretty outgoing person. I love talking to people. I engage with people everywhere I go, and I find it exhausting to say hi to people. And when for me as an extrovert, the kind of guy that says hi to everybody, my parent family is like, you, like we can't go anywhere without you talking to everybody. It's like when I just takes too much energy to say hi, I know something's wrong with me. That's not something someone outside me has done to me. Something is going on inside of me when I find it exhausting to say hi to someone outside of me. It's just not my natural disposition. It's not my personality. And I find myself like going up to people, and it might be somebody in my family, it might be one of my sons, it might be my wife, it might be someone in my community, it might be somebody at church, it might be somebody at work, and, and my outside body goes, I'm here to talk to you. And my inside body goes, I hate you. <laughs> like my outside voice goes, oh, it's so good to see you, oh, I'm so glad to talk, let me give you some pastoral advice. My inside body is, shut up, you are so annoying. Right, like this happens where we get to the point in our lives, and if it hasn't happened to you, it will, where you just go, I have nothing to give. I have no energy to say hi. I have no energy to listen. I have no energy to give you advice. I have no energy to invest in you in any way. I've got nothing to give you. Have you been there? It's like you just depleted. There's nothing left. There's nothing more to give. And honestly, when that happens, it is nothing to do with the people outside of us. It's the person inside of us. It's me. The reason that this is happening, and I noticed this pattern in my life, 47 years of living inside me, right? I noticed this pattern, and it's sort of this priority list that what happens to me is I invest in me, and I invest in people, and I invest in God. So this is my priority list of how I see the world. So when I wake up in the morning, I think, how can I invest in me? And when this is happening to me, I'm going, I'm thinking about Joe. What's good for Joe? How's things gonna go for Joe? What's happening for Joe? I'm all thinking about me. I'm completely invested in me. And if at the end of that, I have anything left to give, I might invest in someone else. And at the end of that, if I have anything left to give, I might invest in God. And so this is my priority of me first, people second, God last. And this is the prescription for exhaustion. And when I'm exhausted, I'm irritable, I'm angry, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm sideways. All this stuff starts to happen. And universally, this is true, that if you find yourself 
angry, irritated. You got nothing left to give, nothing to invest, nothing more to listen, nothing more to love. You're avoiding people at Costco. You don't want to talk to anybody in your family that you used to like and respect. Now you hate them. Something might be true for you in this. And Paul has some instructions for us that I think are super helpful we're gonna lean into today. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter eight, watching online, thanks for joining us. Open up your Bibles, paper copy, electronic copy, to use the NIV translation. Love for you to follow along. And as you're getting there, all summer we've been talking about how God invests in us. And this repeated theme that happens that God is investing in me all the time. So all summer, again, the God of the universe, before I ever give anything to anyone, including myself, before I invest anything in me, anything in anybody else, anything in him that I have been invested in by the God of the universe who gave me life and breath and created me in his image. He's given me gifts and talents. He's placed me in this particular life I grew up in this particular space because God has invested in me. He invests in us sunrises and sunsets and a chance to swim in the ocean. He invests in us air conditioning. Did any of you invent it? No, you didn't invent it, but we get to experience it because of the goodness of God. He has all these ways of investing in us each and every day before I ever give anything to anyone else or myself, God has invested in me. And we've talked about this throughout the summer, that one of the ways we outside of oxygen and creating us in his image that he invests in us, he invests in us in that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is who he is. So God is constantly this way every day, and he's pouring that into me every moment of every day. Not just do I have oxygen. Not just am I created in his image. Not just do I have choices. He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and he's investing in me all of that all of the time. So the reason that I am compassionate with myself is God was first compassionate with me. The reason I'm gracious with myself is because he was gracious to me. The reason I'm patient with myself is because he was first patient with me. The reason I love myself is because he first loved me, he invested all of this in me, and guess what it happens? He invests all this stuff in me, and then I invest all that stuff in me too. I take whatever he's given me, and then I go double down and go, now see, it's all mine, and now I'm super gracious and patient, loving and forgiving to myself, and then I get to the end of that, and I have nothing left to give anyone else because I've used it up all for myself, and I've been cheap, and stingy with everything he's put inside of me and everything he's lavished on me that I have nothing left to give anyone else. And certainly, where does God meet in any of this? Where is he? What? And this is the prescription for weariness. This is the prescription, the formula of how you wonder why you got to a point in your life where you're like, I got nothing left to give anybody. Nothing for anybody. I'm completely depleted. I have nothing left. It's because this has become how we look at life. I invest in me, and everything is me, and you get the second best, and God gets nothing, and then we wonder why we're here. So Paul has something to say about this to us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word that instructs us and teaches us and leads us and helps us. Now, Holy Father in heaven, 
please speak to your sons and daughters. Lord, to every heart that's thirsty today, would you satisfy them? To every heart that's hungry today, would you feed them? To every heart that feels broken, would you forgive them and repair them and use our time together looking at your word to do what only you can do, restore us and heal us and then unleash us to love and serve other people. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's writing his second letter to this church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is super diverse. It's also very well resourced. It's very much like our church. It's diverse and well resourced. And this is his second letter to them. And he says in chapter 8, verse 1, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, we were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is God's word. It's interesting, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about another group of people that are desperately in need. And Paul's like, there's this group of people that's 800 miles away that is desperately in need. It's the church in Jerusalem, and they've been persecuted. Because of their faith in Christ, they've lost their ability to make money in certain instances. They've lost their lives in certain circumstances. They've been slandered. They've been mistreated. Now the church in Jerusalem is really struggling. And the church in Corinth has heard this news already. 
that this church is struggling and Paul wants to take up an offering to help these people, these Christians in Jerusalem. Now, when you're in church and someone gets in front and says, we're gonna take an offering to help someone 800 miles away, what do you do? You grab your wallet, right? That's what I do. It's like, oh man, here it comes, right? Here it comes. The preacher's gonna start talking about money and you're gonna fire all kinds of missiles at me, right? And tell me not to talk. So we hold on to our wallets when we hear about someone else in need and we go, hey, maybe somebody else can take care of that because I can't. I mean, I'm saving up for this, and I'd like to buy that, and you don't know my budget, and kids in college, and the retirement, and all this stuff. I don't know those people. Someone else will take care of it. For most of us, when we hear about someone in need, our first response is to think about ourselves. And Paul's like, your first response, Corinthian church, was actually to think about others. You actually had a desire when you felt this need, when you sensed this need to meet the need. It was your desire when you heard this to give, to ensure that this other church that you don't even hardly know, that they would have their needs met. But now you gotta actually follow through with what you say. Have you been there where you've wanted to be generous? You've heard a need? You're like, I can be generous, I can help. And then all kinds of things happen in life that make you either forget or not take that as a priority. You had a good intention that you wanted to give, but at the end of the day, you forgot. You didn't put your money where your mouth was. Like, you didn't follow through. So Paul's in this second letter. What he's doing is he's like reminding them there's a church in need. There's a group of people that need your help. And there's a reason to give. These people need something. And what he does in this chapter is he gives them examples as a motivating tool of what other churches are like in order to inspire them to follow through. And he says this about the Macedonian church. Really interesting statement about the Macedonian church. He says, in the midst of the very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This statement to me is really weird because these words, severe trial and extreme poverty, they don't really go well with joy and generosity, right? So when someone is in severe difficulty and severe or difficult poverty, the thought of them being joyful and generous, like those are diametrically opposed. You're impoverished and facing a trial and a difficulty, but you're generous. Like something in this is kind of weird. And he says this church in Macedonia is acting this way. And actually Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter two describes what's going on in this church that's severe trials. He says, you suffered from your own people the same things that churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. I mean, so I'm struggling. I'm in a season of struggle where I'm, having a hard time saying hello to someone. I'm struggling because a variety of things, like I don't really want to listen to you. My inside voice is going, shut up, stop complaining, right? And this is my struggle, right? And Paul's like, let me tell you about a church that's struggling. Let me tell you about a church who, because they believe in Jesus, suffered like Jesus. I mean, these people in Macedonia are being killed, These Christians are being um, abused and mistreated because of their faith in Christ, and I don't have energy to say hi to you at Costco? And it's not that the things that we struggle with and our problems and our heartache and our issues here don't matter, but he's lifting up this example and going, wait, there's this church that's facing incredible, severe trials. Look at what he says. He says, in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. These people are being persecuted. They're out of homes, out of jobs. Life stinks. And in the middle of that, they're giving beyond their ability and they're pleading with us for the privilege of sharing. Like I've been in ministry for 25 years. I have never had anyone in America ever come up to me and plead, please, oh please, I just desperately must give. It just doesn't happen. And yet this is what this church, he's holding up as an example and going, they are pleading in the midst of their severe poverty and their persecution. They are pleading to say, we want to give. We want to help a church. We don't even know where they are. We'll never meet these people. We're going to give. We're going to give. We're going to give. It's like, what is up with these Macedonians? Like, what's going on? What would it take? What does it look like? What does it mean? How would you get there? And he's using this as an example to motivate us to think. To go, okay, maybe this uh, whole, you have a hard time listening to someone at work because they're annoying you. Maybe that's not so hard. Let me show you something that's really hard. In the midst of really hard, people are being generous to help us get an example and sort of some perspective to go, man, we're designed to give. What's the key to this? Verse five is the key, I think. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Like how does a group of people who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ have so much generosity that they're begging to give more? This is the cause of it. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God. So this is our priority, right? This tends to be how we think that God invests in me and I invest in me and I invest in people and I invest in God. This is sort of our mindset, that God invests in me and then I think of me and I, but he's saying, no, this isn't what they thought. This isn't how they thought. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to people. There's a shift in the priority. Now, interesting question, maybe worth considering. What happens if Jesus lived like this? I mean, think of this. Imagine, that's kind of a funny example. God invests in Jesus. Jesus invests in Jesus. Jesus invests in people. Jesus invests in gods. Is this how Jesus walked on planet Earth? It's like, he thought, okay, God's investing in me, and you know what I'm gonna do? While I'm here on planet Earth, I'm gonna invest in me too. And whatever I have left, I'll invest in other people. And at some point, I'll, it's like, no, this isn't at all how Jesus thought of himself. Actually, First, Second Corinthians 4, 8 tells us, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So he's holding up the example of the Macedonian church, and then he holds up the example of Jesus himself and says, look at how Jesus behaved when he was on planet Earth. And this is so hard for us to get our minds around, but I just... I want to lift your eyes for just a moment to think about Jesus for all eternity, living in perfect community with God the Father, God the Son. There was nothing missing, nothing deficient. There was perfect connection, perfect intimacy, perfect love, perfect partnership. They're playing Xbox. Life is good, right? Everything's great between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect community forever. 
And at some point, God says to Jesus, it's time. It's time for you to go rescue our people. And at the right time, the Bible says, Jesus leaves the perfect comfort, perfect relationship, perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect pleasure of heaven, and makes this long journey to planet Earth and comes to Earth through a virgin in Palestine 2,000 years ago, of all places, with no air conditioning. I mean, it's dusty and dirty and inconvenient. And he makes this long descent from the riches of heaven and perfect community of peace and comfort and joy in unity with God the Father, and he comes to planet Earth, and he lives in Palestine with dusty, dirty roads, and he works with his hands, which means he hit himself with a hammer on a finger while he was working at some point, and it blew up, just like it would for you. He's a real person that experienced all the ups and downs of life, and as he walked on planet Earth, what did he do? He gave. He gave, he gave, he gave more and more and more. He completely and always gave himself to his parents, to his friends, to his community. He just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave some more. And there was times he got tired, right? The Bible says he got tired. And what did Jesus do when he got tired? He withdrew to lonely places to reconnect with God the Father so that he could return to places and give 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 some more. So the point that he gave so much, they're like, we got to kill the goody two-shoes who give so much. And he gave his life. And think about the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed, he, he got down on his hands and knees and these dirty, fungus, athlete's foot, Peter, John. I mean, he's washing feet. Like, we want to make this all pretty, like it's some sort of spiritual moment. Man, those are some gross toe fungus. And he's washing their feet. The one who has it the highest most high name above all names now is down on his hands and feet washing toe fungus? I've seen your feet. Right? Like we've seen, like this is gross. And yet he goes all the way, all the way to death, even death on a cross, that he might grant us riches. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor. So you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus sees that this is the way to joy. God, God invested in Jesus, and Jesus invested in God. And then out of that investment, he invested in people. And out of that, he thought of himself last. And so this is the order that Jesus gives us. God invests in me. I invest in God. I invest in people. I invest in me last. Because Jesus changes everything. That when he comes to planet earth and he lives this way and he takes our sins upon his shoulders and pays for our debt that we couldn't pay, invests in me all of this, that now I invest all in him. It's interesting, this phrase, invest in God, you might go, that's kind of weird. Like, what do, how can I invest in God, right? What does that mean? Uh, the way God designed the universe in his love he never takes anything from you but your sin. The only thing he takes is I'm going to die on a cross to pay for your sins and I'm going to take the wrath of God that you deserve. I'm gonna take it on my shoulders. I'll take your sin. Everything else, he wants us to voluntarily choose to give him. He doesn't bulldoze, he doesn't manipulate, he doesn't control. He invites us to give to invest 
ourselves in him. And what can we invest in God? We can invest in God honor. I honor you, God. I see you made me and you formed me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made and so is every human. I honor you for making me. I honor you for giving me oxygen. I praise your name because you love me and you gave me gifts and abilities and you put me in this place and time and you've entrusted these things and these relationships. I honor you because this is your money, your time, your gifts, your world. I honor and praise you. And so when I sing praises to him and I connect the dots to see everything I have is from him and to him and through him and for him, I honor him. And when I honor him, I invest myself in him. And I also invest by obeying him. If this is what he's done for me, and this is who he is, then I give myself completely to him. He's the master. I'm the servant. He's the father. I'm the son, the daughter. I listen to him. What he says about me, I obey and believe. What he tells me to do, I obey and believe. I do what he says that I should do, not because I have to, not because he forces me, but because I'm his son and daughter. I want to give my life to him because of what he has done in and through me. I obey him and honor him at every moment. And when I have that priority right, that I see God's invested completely in me, and now I honor and obey him. Now I have something to invest in other people. When I get this priority right, now I have something to give. I have something to share. The priorities are right. And yeah, I'm at the bottom of the list. And so are you. And so was Jesus. We're in good company. A number of years ago, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, I was the high school pastor here at Faith Church. And I got to take trips with teenagers to lots of other places in the world. Really fun. I got a demotion. I have to work with you now, but uh, <laughs> teenagers are awesome. And so I had this great opportunity. Took a bunch of teens over many years to build houses for people in Mexico. And so interesting, these families and individuals in Mexico have nothing. And so we come in and we built them houses. Honestly, we built them a shed. It's like two by fours, plywood, and shingles. And these people thought they got a mansion. The poorest among us wouldn't live in one of these sheds. And yet these people were so thankful for a shed built to keep the rain off their heads. And as I've had opportunity, maybe you've had this experience too, as I've had opportunity to, to travel and go to other parts of the world, especially the developing world, what's amazing to me is that the poorest people are almost always the most generous. What the heck? And I learned as I watched these people, we build them this shed and they would take all their resources for the next month and make a feast for us before we would leave. They took whatever they had for the next month to live on and they put a spread out in front of us Americans to thank us for building them a shed. And I learned in that, it's unbelievable, I learned that you can invest in people and you can invest money and you can invest time, but if it doesn't cost you, it's not generous. You can invest time and money and energy, investing, caring for, meeting the needs of people, but if there's never a cost, if it doesn't actually impact your bottom line, it doesn't impact your lifestyle, if it doesn't change who you are, 
If it doesn't matter and it's kind of like I gave, I invested, I served, then is it really like Jesus? Because can you imagine if Jesus withheld anything from us? If Jesus was as cheap as you are? If Jesus was as cheap and stingy as I am with investing in other people? But that's not who God is whatsoever. He's so incredibly generous and he leaves it all on the field and he demonstrates us to us how to live. And so Paul's like, there's these people in, in uh, Jerusalem that need money and the Macedonian church is given out of their severe poverty. It's welled up to rich generosity. And Jesus is given out of his fullness and laid everything on the field for you. And now he says to this Corinthian church, now it's your turn. He says, now, text says, now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. He's like, quit the lip service. Stop saying, I want to give, but not do it. Stop just talking. Put your money where your mouth is. Invest. Give yourself fully. John, the Apostle John, makes this other comment about Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Is there anything greater? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. But with actions. So he's motivating us and going, man, you got to change your priorities. Joe, you have to change your priorities. The reason you have nothing to give, whether it's as small as a hello or it's a giving of money to someone in need, it's because your priorities are all out of whack. But if Jesus is who he says he is, he reorders my priorities and says, God invests in me. Now I invest in God. I honor and I obey him. And in my honor and obedience, then I invest in other people. And I'm last. I'm last. And in that, I look and act like Jesus. And that is the pathway of always having enough to give. This is how there is overflowing abundance in money, in time, in energy, in love, in peace. To be able to give, when I get this right, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us and their poverty welled up in rich generosity, and they gave as much as they could possibly give. Now, when I look at this, it's hard, because me last? I mean, that's tough, right? And I think there's branches of Christianity that are say, yes, you last. Actually, you should liquidate your 401k. You should take a vow of poverty. The harder your life is, the more you suffer, the better. There's parts of Christianity that talk that way, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Actually, Paul kind of gives us a little bit. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, do you see this? It's not like, hey, you should take a vow of poverty and you should have a hard, difficult, suffering life so other people can be blessed. No, he's saying, no, I want everything to sort of balance out. Not that you're so hard pressed that you have nothing to live on. That's not the point. The point is get your priorities right that there might be equality. This isn't a vow of poverty. It isn't liquidate everything you have. It isn't pursue suffering and martyrdom. That's not biblical Christianity but it is a reordering of your priorities. So let me make it super basic and maybe helpful, applicable to you. When we think of this, invest, God invests in me, 
and I invest in God. And so remember, God is taking all of this and he's pouring this into me all the time. He's being this way to me. And my job in response to that, my privilege is to honor and to obey him, right? It's like, this is my honor. And so what does it look like to invest in people? It's, it's starting to be compassionate. How do I do this? I'm compassionate with people at Costco. I'm compassionate with people at work. I'm compassionate with people in the community because God has poured this into me. And so now I'm compassionate with those around me and around the globe. I'm gracious. You know what grace is? Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. Do you know how many people in your life don't deserve anything from you? Actually, they've done things to harm you and to hurt you. And Jesus, I've done things to harm him and hurt him, and yet he's gracious towards me. And so grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. Is there anybody in your life that doesn't deserve anything from you? What are you supposed to do? You should take what God has given you and invest it in them. You're supposed to be slow to anger or patient. You want to know how to do this? Be patient with people. There's people in your family, your kids, your spouse driving you crazy, right? People at work, you're just like, if she just talks one more moment, I'm going to die. I hate hearing her voice, right? I'm, no, I'm not supposed to say that. But it's like, there's like people in our lives, it's like hearing them talk is like, right? It's terrible. God, I need you to help me to be patient with this person. They're driving me crazy. Fill me with your patience that I might honor and obey you by giving that patience to that person that's driving me crazy and loving. I'm going to overflow with love and abundance of love, and that's going to look like my time and my money and my energy and my gifts is going to abound in love and spill over in rich generosity towards other people who are in need. And I can't do this unless God is pouring this into me regularly and I'm obeying and receiving him. And this is the sort of way that we get unstuck from feeling like I'm so tired. I got nothing left to give. Maybe the reason you have nothing left to give is because you've kept everything for yourself. You've kept everything for yourself. And God says, I've poured this into you so that you might honor and obey me by pouring it out to other people. But you've been stingy and I've been stingy. What I love, and I think it's super important to say, is this doesn't mean that I can't be gracious and compassionate and slow to anger with me. Because I, I, some of you need to hear, like, you need to be kind to yourself. You need to be compassionate with yourself. You need to be gracious with yourself. You need to be patient with yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just get the priorities right of where it starts and where it ends. Because if we do this the way God designed it, he's constantly on the daily investing in me. He's direct deposit into my account everything I need for today. He's slow to anger and abounding in love and compassionate and gracious with everything I need for today. Not tomorrow, next week, next month, for today. He's deposit, deposit, deposit. And if we're living in connection with other people, there are people around us in our small group, in our family, that are also making investments into us. If you're living alone and you're not connected to God and you're not connected to other people, everything you got, you hold on to it stingy and cheap because you're not living the way God designed you. He designed you to live and receive all of this from him and receive it from other people and you're last. You can be kind to yourself, but when your whole life is about you doing self-care and being kind to you, you're cheap and stingy and you're going to get exhausted and you'll have nothing left to give anyone. 
It's not how you were designed. Instead, we receive from God, we honor and obey him, we invest in other people, and we take care of ourselves and watch how God takes care of you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you today for your word that instructs us. For the Macedonian church, it's an example to us of severe trials and poverty welling up in rich generosity. And the key is that they understood who you were and you rescued them and you helped them and you restored them and you poured so much lavish grace on them. And because you did that, they honored and obeyed you and gave it to others. So we wanna be these kinds of people. Would you help us please? Because this is more than we can imagine. This is more than what we can do on our own. And we don't do this to get because the Macedonian church continued to suffer. Jesus suffered all the way into death. We don't give to get, but we take everything we have and in honor and obedience to you, we invest it in people that are made in your image. So make us slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate and gracious not only with the things that we see in our current world and relationships, but also what we see around the globe. There's all kinds of needs everywhere. We want to be individuals who are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding love with our community, but also with the world. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And when we get angry or frustrated, irritable, when hatred comes into our hearts, Help us to see those red flags and realize something's messed up inside of us and we need to come back to you. Say we're sorry and ask for your help because when our life and love is aligned right with you and our life and love is aligned with others, you'll give us more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen.